Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Death of WCW panel. I am David Penzer, and we're going to hear, it's finally time to hear from uh, not only the co-author of the famous book, but the uh, one-time booker and the president of the company. So let's bring them out. First of all, co-author of the Death of WCW, R.D. Reynolds. Wrestling legend and uh, one-time WCW booker, the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. And ladies and gentlemen, you listen to him every week on 83 Weeks. He was the president of WCW and the man who created the Monday Night Wars. Give it up for Eric Bischoff. And so it begins. All right. Hey, by the way, we're going to be coming out and uh, taking your questions in a little bit. So if you, this may be your only chance to ask a question to a panel like this. So if you have one or if you want to think of one, we'll be coming out there in just a little bit. But we're going to start out with the first question, which is, what does each of you believe to be the reason for the company's demise? We're going to ask all three panelists. But RD, you wrote the book. So you go first. Okay. First of all, I want to thank everybody for coming out. I want to thank those of you who have read the book or bought the book or stolen the book from a library or illegally downloaded it. I appreciate it. Um, I brought my iPad with me because there's a lot of people that have questions, and if there's someone that wants to reference the book, that's why I have the iPad up here with me. I started a website called WrestleCrap.com, April 1st, 2000. That site was designed to do one thing, to make three people in this world laugh. And that's uh, two of my guys that are here now, Dan, Casey. That was it. That's all that site was designed to do. We had another guy, Merle. Unfortunately, he is a great friend. He passed away. Along the way, uh, with the website, I got to meet a lot of really cool people. Uh, and they became friends of mine, and that's what started happening with the website, which is something I really love about that. Blade Braxton, who is host of a podcast with me, Russell Crap Radio, fantastic. I got to meet Jordan Michigan, who I dressed up in the gobbledygooker outfit yesterday, and I had him running around sweating. Oh, for Christ's sake, something. would you just go ahead and answer the question? <laughs> so, I just want to say... I appreciate all you guys coming out here. I want to talk about this panel for a second. David Penzer, I appreciate you being here. You have helped me get this panel ready. Thank you very much. Kevin Sullivan, yesterday we were in here. We were doing the WrestleCraft panel, and it was fantastic. You were the star of the show. I appreciate it very, very much. Legend in this business. And then there's Eric Bischoff. And, oh, he's got the one fan. Excellent. So, but I am going to start this off, and I, people, I, I know people want to see us rip each other apart. I'm going to disappoint you because I am going to say something very nice about Eric Bischoff to start this panel. And that is, I thought you were fantastic as the old preacher in the Billy and Chuck wedding angle. Does anybody remember that when he was the old, when he was the old man and he ripped off the mask like it was Scooby-Doo or something? That was awesome. But I want to go through a couple photos, and then I'm going to pass it over to Mr. Bischoff. Do we have our first photo ready? Okay. This photo is Eric Bischoff and I's 
first meeting ever. It happened yesterday. We were in a, he was in the corner, he was signing books, and we start coming in, and I'm the WrestleCraft guy. I'm wheeling in a casket. I'm putting on the Oz rope. And Eric's over there looking at me like, what on earth is this? So I go over and I introduce myself to Eric. And I say, Eric, I'm R.D. Reynolds. And I'll never forget his reaction. He looked at me a couple times, blinked, and then just buried his head and said, oh, Jesus Christ. Because he knew he was going to have to come up here with me today. Can we see the next photo? This is the original version of the death of WCW. And I know why Eric Bischoff hates this book. I understand it completely. Look at that photo. Look at that photo of Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff's a handsome man. That is a terrible, terrible photo. Can you, can you zoom in on that one as the next photo? Seriously. I went and found the dirt worst photo of you I possibly could. That was a Bush League move. <clears throat> it was really mean. Uh, go to the next photo. I mean, seriously, this is what this photo was from. The poor guy was just talking to Conan, and I was like, man, he looks like the biggest scumbag, sleazebag, douchebag I possibly could, could you could meet. And I said, that's what's going to go on the front of the book. Eric, I know that you don't like the book, and you've got to hate that photo, but I am going to extend an olive branch to you. I think we can use that photo to make money. I think we could make some merchandise that it would make money. For instance, maybe we could, maybe we could make some shirts. And, and I got something else that I was going to do. I was... I think that you will like this, guys. I got some of these. I call them <clears throat> Eric Bischoff stickheads. That's stickheads. And I got these made. You get a really good deal if you make a bunch of them. But I knew I couldn't sell them because he would be looking for a cut. So what we're going to do is I have my buddies here. And, hey, Blade, how many of these do we have? We got about 500 of them. Just go ahead and give them all. Give everybody one for free. It's a souvenir for the death of WCW. Now, Eric made a good point. He's like, and you can see him. He's pissed. I'm talking too long. You're boring the shit out of me is what you're well, doing. Well, as long as it's you. Um, so I want to say you said on your podcast, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Who listens to it? Okay. I listened to it as well, and on that podcast, he said <clears throat> that I had balls to show up. Hey, Eric, I do appreciate that. You also said you were going to castrate me live on stage. Now, as much as I would appreciate the publicity and additional book sales that would bring, I think that's probably not going to work, and we have a lot of witnesses. So with that, I am going to so shut my mouth. So you're saying you really have no balls. <clears throat> Is that what you're saying? I was I, wrong. I am saying I am now going to shut my mouth. You want to rail into me. You want to tell me how stupid my book is. You want to tell me how dumb I am. I am going to yield the floor to you. Why don't you start? The question was, what does each of you believe to be the reason for the demise of WCW? There is no singular reason. There's lots of different reasons. And anybody that tells you there's one that's that's just not right. And you we wrote made the, the question. And I'm telling you the answer. You can't answer it with one question with one person. It's a lot of different people. It's a lot of different factors. Uh, you know, it was people making bad decisions. It was a lot. Name a lot one. of name, bad. Name, name, name just name one. Okay. Uh, Eric Bischoff. And with that. I will what now. was the bad decision? Name, name, name the, the singular decision that I made that was the result or factored into WCW being sold to WWE. There was no one bad decision, so but there, words, there, 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 there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. The way talent well, was handled. One. The, was the way talent, talent handled? was handled. So how was talent handled? How was talent management relative in any way, shape, or form 
to the decision to sell WCW to WWE? Focus for a minute. Just answer the freaking question. Oh, I thought the question was what led to the downfall, not what led to the sale. It was the sale. There was no downfall. It was the sale. The, the WCW no longer exists within Turner Broadcasting because it was sold to WWE. What was the singular decision? What was one decision I made that, with regard to talent management that led to that choice? It was the way talent was handled. You're Just being, overall you're being, talent. You're, you're, it's, it's overall talent, how talent was able to run amok. Could you talk about... Could you, how do you know that? No, wait a minute. No, let's get into it. How do you know that? Were you there? No, I've talked to a ton of people that were. Ah, Stooges. We know all about Stooges, don't we, Kevin? Kevin, what's your opinion? Well, <laughs> I, I want to say this. Without Eric Bischoff, none of you would be here today. He, I will he, agree he, with that. He laid the seed for what's going to happen tonight. Okay? The other thing is, he was the right guy at the right time. And he had gone through the Jim Hurds and the Kip Fries and everybody else. And Eric was smart enough because he had been in Minneapolis, but not extensively around the world, that he saw things in a different light than the old time promoters. The NWO, he went to Japan, and we all take things, but he made it better. The other thing was, all of the guys that ended up being your heroes in the WWE came from WCW. The other thing was, he beat Vince, which they had a press conference six weeks before we were on the first night show, and he, Vince said, they won't be in business in six weeks. They beat, we beat them on the first quarter hour with Justin Thunder Laga and Brian Pillman, and they were off races. He brought in Hulk Hogan when people thought Hulk Hogan was over. We turned him heel, it was a mega thing. The other thing is, Eric put a lot of money into people's pockets that their families could live better. I haven't seen Eric since I've been out of WCW, but the thing about Eric Bischoff, uh, he's a proud guy. He's going to fight you any way you can. And the thing about him is he's uh, basically a really good guy. But the bottom line was, the, the bo bottom line is, I don't care if we did 20s when Eric was running it, AOL looked down on wrestling. And I think I'm going to give you the one thing that he, he had going against them. AOL didn't want wrestling. It was beneath them, they thought. And I had heard that from... Brian Underwood, who was the acquisition guy, came in our office one day and said, they don't like people in their sandbox that aren't AOL people. So thank you for that, Kevin, by the way. So because this knucklehead at the end of the panel here wrote a book called The Death of WCW, he says he talked to a lot of wrestlers. He talked to stooges, and he talked to stooges, stooges, rats, whatever you want to call them, they all have their own agenda, but you also notice in his book he doesn't quote any of them. They're all anonymous sources for the most part. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why guys like Dave Meltzer, who lived off, which he co-authored the book with, they live off rumor and innuendo, as Mr. Pritchard likes to refer to it, because they're too fucking lazy to get to the facts. There's one book out now, right now, called Nitro, the Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of WCW, written by a guy by the name of Guy Evans, who actually did. Have any of you guys read the book? If you haven't read the book, please read it, because it's a direct contrast to the sewage between two book covers that this idiot wrote. <laughs> because they actually interviewed people. 
that were actually part of the situation. They were part of the decision-making process. They interviewed guys like Bill Burke, who was the president of TBS, who was a part of the decision-making process. They interviewed a guy by the name of Joe Yuva. That's a name none of you have, will ever read anywhere else because douchebags like this guy never get an opportunity to interview people like that because they're too lazy. Joe Yuva was the head of Turner Ad Sales, which went into great detail how Turner Ad Sales affected the WCW decision ultimately. That's just two examples of 120 interviews, which by the way, they are referenced in the book and they're quoted, unlike this tripe. So if you really want to read what happened to WCW, if you really want the knowledge, don't read a dirt sheet, fuck Dave Meltzer, as Mr. Pritchard likes to say, and I saw plenty of FDM shirts around here, by the way, that's awesome. Definitely do not read the garbage that this idiot wrote. Read Nitro, the inevitable rise, or the, the, the incredible rise and the inevitable downfall of WCW because there's facts and information in there. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things in that book that I read about myself that I'm not particularly proud of and I don't particularly enjoy reading. So this is not me shilling for a book that makes me look like a great guy, even though Kevin thinks I am. But the fact is, they took the time, they did the work, and they're real journalists, they're real authors, they're not piss-poor comedians that have a keyboard. R.D., uh... Hey, all right, if you want to know how I really feel, strap in! <laughs> now, let me answer the question really succinctly. A lot of you guys listen to my podcast, so I'm not going to be redundant and repeat shit that you've already heard a million times, all right? But there are, to, to R.D.'s credit... There's not just one reason why WCW ended up being sold or died or however you want to characterize it. The truth is, <clears throat> about 1998, when the AOL Time Warner merger began to really manifest and things began to change at the highest levels within Turner Broadcasting, there was a huge budget shift. Now, keep in mind, my budgets were set for 1998 in 1997, okay? They, 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 you plan your budgets a year in advance. About November, your, your approved budget comes through. And in 1998, you have to live within the budget that, that Turner Finance had approved and authorized. That wasn't just for WCW. That was for every operating division within the company. All right? Once the AOL-Time Warner merger, particularly the AOL. Time Warner was a difficult one, but AOL really changed things. There became an issue, because here, here's, and this is going to be a little bit in the weeds, but all your key executives of those operating divisions in a company like Turner Broadcasting, including me, had stock options. And your options were issued to you throughout your tenure with the company at different, what they call strike prices. Mine, for example, they averaged about $11 a share was my strike price, meaning that was the value that they had assigned to them when they were given to me. Now, what I didn't realize, because I was pretty naive and green to corporate acquisitions, I'd never had stock options before. Quite honestly, I didn't even know how many I had. I just stuck them in a file and stuck them in my drawer and forgot about them because you couldn't take them to the bank and spend them until they vested, meaning over a period of time. I'll fast forward through this so I don't lose you. I'm, I know I'm confusing the fuck out of RD here. You're, you're putting me to sleep, I'll say that. No, well, I know, because I'm sure math is a problem for you. <laughs> and, and business in general. I know commas and periods and apostrophes are a real challenge, so I can imagine this has got to be a problem for you. Long story short, once the acquisition, once AOL came in, the goal of every president of every division was to increase the value of the company because the more the company sold for at the time it closed, the more their stock options were worth. So they started robbing Peter to pay Paul to make everybody's individual companies look better on paper. It's called EBITDA, earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes, and so forth. That was the reason why WCW got killed because to Kevin's point, AOL, Time Warner did not want wrestling. It was a lot easier to rob Peter to make Paul look better so that individual operating uh, expenses and, and EBITDAs look better. And those people made more money once the acquisition was closed. That's why it died. To Kevin's point, AOL Time Warner did not want... There was only one guy that wanted wrestling. His name was Ted Turner. Everybody else wanted to pull the plug on WCW from day one, with the exception of Ted Turner. Once Ted Turner lost control of his own company, WCW was on its way out the door. That's why, that's why WCW died. <laughs>
RD, I want to I give you a chance to respond. I know Ooh. that uh, Eric said on, on 83 Weeks, and he said here tonight that the book is a lot of rumor and innuendo, mm-hmm. stooges that you don't name, so I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Yeah, I, I guess this is where I'm supposed to stand up and do this, so that's what I'll do. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the new Nitro book. Uh, I actually read that, and I think that book's awesome. I really, really do, and I encourage everyone to read it. I want everyone to read it, not only because it's a good book, but if you read that book, despite what my colleague here says... I'm not your colleague. Do not flatter yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're not even close, brother. Despite what the douchebag three chairs to my left says, you will see there isn't a lot of contrast in these two books. You'll see the books are almost counterparts to each other. They tell the same story. Sometimes we did. I will say it. We used rumors, innuendo, stooges. And then we took that information and we used common sense to see, okay, what would the story really be behind this? When you read Nitro, you will see, oh, what they came up with is indeed fact. And uh, like I said, I encourage everyone to do that. The other thing that I want to say, I want to say that, that Eric makes a great point, and we made this in the book too. Ted Turner was the man who wanted wrestling on, and on the Turner Networks. We make that point. We also make the point that at the very end, the thing that killed WCW is Ted Turner was no longer involved in it. A man named Jamie Kellner came in. Killed the, he just said, I don't want to be on there anymore. And that's what I do feel, and, and people are going to not like this. But I'm going to say a few things about Eric Bischoff, and I'm, I'm not going to be funny, I'm not going to be cute. In the book, we no make shit. A, In the book, we make a point. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And I said that Eric Bischoff was a genius and what he did to reinvent the pro wrestling business absolutely should be studied by everyone everyone what he did it was a business that needed to change he saw that he changed it people may not like it that i'm saying nice things i don't care i said nice things in the book about him too and i think it's really important people understand that what we're here this weekend all in it's almost like business is being reinvented again And it's really cool. And whenever I saw what was happening at All In, I did. I thought of Eric Bischoff and what he was able to do to reinvent the business. Thanks. Any response, Eric? Next question. Let me go to Kevin. Kevin is somebody who was very active and creative throughout the whole process. what, was there a time, we understand the, the situation with AOL Time Warner, uh, and I don't think, and I was there, I was not very low level, as, as you know, but I don't think that, uh, even I don't think that that was going to change. I don't think there's anything that could have done. Our fate was sealed. But from a creative standpoint, uh, as somebody who was involved with not only Eric in charge, but also when Eric left and other people came in, what was the point, do you think, or was there a point where things started going off, 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 the wall a little bit yeah i mean he isn't here to defend himself so i'm not going to take a shot at him but they brought somebody in who was completely different than wcw uh i think eric when he designed wcw he said I'm not going to try to sell a Lincoln because Vince is selling a Mercedes. I'm going to try to sell a Holly Davidson. Both vehicles, but completely different. Uh, When the person came in from up north, he wanted to create a WCWWF hybrid. And I also think, in my head, some of the stuff they were doing was in his head a pilot for a program called Rope Opera. 
I saw that in my head, and I could be completely wrong, but I saw him doing that, and he was going to try to put that on TV somewhere else. I mean, we created a guy, Goldberg. The people were chanting, Goldberg, Goldberg. He was a killer. When he came in the first week the guy took over, the guy's running out of the ring from Booker T, and he's talking. It was just uh, complete. What the people had bought in to the program of WCW and the characters that were built and the difference between WWE silliness at the time, and that's not Austin. Austin was this was before Austin. We fell into a trap, and they allowed him to do that. And I think it never could have got back out of the hole because of that. We had turned so many people off. Eric, I know that, that you were on vacation at the time, quote-unquote. Um, but it was a long-ass vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably needed it. But uh, I'm assuming you were paying attention to what was going on. And um, so in this period that Kevin talks about, how hard was it for you to watch what you had created being turned into uh, the, the po- polar opposite? And... Um, how, you know, what were your thoughts when you were watching this? I didn't really watch much. And unlike Kevin, who's a classier guy than I am, I have no problem burying Vince Russo. <laughs> Whether he's here or not, I can, I can help two, you with that. I, I could give two They shifts. agree on something. Um, but, in, but in fairness, um, because even though I have no respect for him uh, as a creative guy, I will say that he was put in an impossible position. He was hired because he sold Bill Bush and Brad Siegel of Bill of Goods. He came in and told everybody that he was responsible for the Attitude Era, which I worked at WWE. I had plenty of conversations who were with people who were part of that Stooges. creation. And he, no, no, they were actually there. They, see, I know you don't know the difference between Thank a stooge you. and someone with credibility, sure. but generally speaking, the people that actually did the work are not stooges. Just like presidents of networks and things like that. I know. Take notes, will you? You got your iPad with you, for fuck's sake. Take a note. <laughs> but it was clear that, you know, and I know, I've worked with Russo enough to know that he really believed it. It's not that he came in and tried to manipulate or lie knowing he was telling a lie. There are certain people who actually believe what they say regardless of how far-fetched it was. And because he was there at the time and because he was a part of the process, a guy like Vince Rousseau will convince himself that he actually came up with it. There's a lot of people like that. He's not alone in that regard. It's human nature to a certain degree. But he came in and he sold Bill Burke, or excuse me, uh, Bill Bush and Brad Siegel a bill of goods. And they thought, okay, great, Eric's gone. We finally got rid of that maniac. Here's the guy that's been kicking our ass. And within about a month, man, it wasn't that long. He, I got sent home in September. He came in probably in October, November. By January, my phone was ringing off the hook. What does that tell you? That tells you that they looked under the hood after they bought the car. They looked under the hood and went, oh, shit. There's no engine in this thing. It's not what we thought it was. Otherwise, believe me, they would have not called me back. That's what happened with Vince Russo. He had experience. He was there, but he was not the driving force. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in fairness to, to Vince Russo, WCW was a shithole by the time he got there. The wheels had been falling off. A lot of that was my fault, by the way. I was burned out. I was out of ideas. I was struggling, I was fighting a fight on the business side of the wrestling business, something that RD and Dave Meltzer know nothing about, but I was fighting the fight on the business side of the wrestling business, and that was taking its toll on my ability to fight the fight on the creative side of the business. That was my flaw, my weakness, whatever. I just, I was, I was running out of ideas. It's why we tagged Kevin Nash in for a while. It's, it's why we tried so many things that quite frankly just sucked. In large part, 
because of what was going on in the business side of things. And I know you people don't like to hear about it, but it was the AOL Time Warner struggle. My budget was being decimated. The money that they appropriated to me in, in 97 was taken away, from, taken away from me in 1998. But oh, by the way, you've got to produce a show for TBS. We didn't want that show. We didn't want Thunder. We knew what it was going to do to us. And not only, Ted Turner wanted it, but guess what? Bill Burke, the president of TBS, didn't want to pay for it. $400,000 a week. They didn't want to pay. They wanted the show because they wanted the ratings, but they didn't want to pay for it. TNT wasn't going to pay for it. They didn't want it to happen either. Brad Siegel tried to talk me out of doing it. I said, Brad, how, how are you going to talk? How can I talk Ted Turner out of doing what Ted Turner wants to do? You talk him out of it. I can't talk him out of it. So we ended up absorbing the cost of TBS within WCW roughly $400,000 a week plus the additional talent that we had to hire to fill it. That's what crushed our budget. Those are the types of fights that I was fighting instead of fighting the creative side of things. And the, so the wheels were, really, in fairness to Russo, the wheels were falling off creatively before he even got there. He just made it a lot worse, quite frankly. <laughs> We're going to take your questions in just a few moments. So, uh, can I? Can, may oh, I? Yeah, please. Go I ahead. just wanted to say something. We actually brought up a lot of what he had mentioned in the book about how, you know, it was things inside the company, and it. And I credit Eric because he's he's admitting it. There was a lot of bad television that was put on. At the end of the day, that's what I view. I mean, if you want to answer the first question, what killed WCW? I think it was a lot of that bad television. We absolutely brought up the, the bit about Thunder. Oh, you're going to tell me that Thunder was, was good uh, most weeks? Whenever it you're, was you're just falling off the you're, you're cliff? Con you're connecting weird dots. Will I tell you that you know Nitro and Thunder were great in late 98, 99? No, I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you that it had nothing to do with why WCW got tanked. You, you just two different things. No, you're not putting words in my mouth, asshole. <laughs> the shows were marginal, at best, on occasion. But that had nothing to do with why WCW died, or was sold, or went away, whatever you want to refer to it. That was a business decision made by AOL Time Warner. That's it. You can add whatever you want to it. That was the reason. Do you think they would have, and, and, you may, and I know Kevin had mentioned this earlier, but I'd like to get your, your input on this. Do you think if you guys were making the amount of money you were during the glory days, do you think they would have said, we're going to get rid of it anyway? I not only think it, I fucking know it. I know it because here, here's the. This is again something that guys like Dave Meltzer and R.D. Reynolds and, and Brian Alvarez, who didn't have the balls to show up, by the way, this is a, this is something that they don't understand because they have no experience in this world. When a television network like TNT decides, okay, we're going to be the drama channel, because and if you remember this, this was their, this was their logo back then or their their branding statement. We know drama. When they decide that TNT is going to be the drama network, guess what they don't want on the air? Professional wrestling. All right? It's a, it's a square peg in a round hole in terms of their overall branding position. When TBS decides we're the comedy network, we know comedy, guess what they don't want on their network? Wrestling. Guess what they don't want to give away two hours of primetime real estate every Monday and every Thursday for when they're trying to do drama and comedy. So it had nothing to do with the amount of money that WCW was or was not making. It had everything to do with what professional wrestling is as it relates to the overall branding position of the respective networks. That's true for Fox. That's true for Comedy Central. That's true for the Discovery Channel. That's true for the History Channel. It's true for most channels. That was the decision. They did not want to dedicate four hours a week, two on TNT and two on TBS, to programming that did not fit their programming profile, things that they were outselling. That was the reason why they didn't want WCW, period and end of conversation. And nothing to do with the ratings and nothing to do with the revenue. And I'm going to jump in here. I've never heard it explained like that. So everybody here that heard that, should carry that and tell people because that's exactly what happened because the guy that came to me and said 
You better get your contract renewed because you're not going to be in this sandbox much longer. And I said, how are they going to get rid of us? He said, I don't care if you do a 20 rating, they don't want you. And what Eric said is, go back and look at it. TNT drama, TBS comedy. Where do you put this round peg in the square hole? You don't. And that he explained it the best I've ever heard anybody explain. All right, we're going to take some questions from the audience. Hi, Artie. Hi, Eric. Uh, Eric, I have a specific question for you, just kind of mindset. Uh, Road Wild 98, you were actually involved in the Hogan-Jay uh, Leno match there. Um, I was just kind of wondering what the demographic was that you were trying to target. Because I know, as a wrestling fan, I'm not even smart enough to watch Jay Leno. My grandma watches it. And did you think it was going to be a good match? Because, I mean, I watched it. You tried your ass off. Hogan sold for him. And Leno was just lost in there. And I was just kind of just wondering your take since you were right there with him. Yeah, the, the reason, and there was a lot of that. I call it stunt casting in general. When, when we brought it, remember what started that off. Hulk Hogan and I walked onto the set of The Tonight Show. We literally threw Jay Leno off of his own set. I got behind his desk, put my feet up, and interviewed Hulk Hogan. You know, that's the type of thing that gets you a lot of press and a lot of awareness in, in the general entertainment business-to-business community, not business-to-consumers. So there was a lot of things we did, like Jay Leno, with Dennis Rodman, with Carl Malone, um, that we didn't do for the wrestling fan. We didn't do it because we thought it was going to be the best wrestling product. We did it because we were trying to get the attention of advertisers. We were trying to get the attention of, for example, DirecTV. We wanted to improve our position with regards to pay-per-views because we, this is something that people don't realize. Um, we were in a constant battle with WWE and to a degree the UFC later on in terms of finding a night for a pay-per-view. Everybody was fighting for that prime real estate. So we wanted to do as much as we possibly could to kind of get on the radar, if you will, of the decision makers in these big media companies. That's what I mean by business to business. Because, well, because they read, they read variety. They, they, they see that WCW, this wrestling company, and you gotta understand, a lot of people, especially then, not as much now, but back in the 90s when we were trying to do what we were doing, wrestling still had a stigma attached to it. So once you got to sponsors, once you got to like General Motors and tried to have a conversation with them about advertising and wrestling, it was like, fuck that. Why would we do that? That's silly. But when you start doing things in Sturgis where these companies were spending lots and lots of money trying to associate themselves with that motorcycle community, and now all of a sudden we're there, and oh, by the way, Jay Leto's on the show, you're able to have a conversation that you otherwise would not be able to have in terms of sponsorship. So a lot of those decisions, I, you know, I knew when we made them that they were going to be, eh, wrestling audience is going to gag on it a little bit, but you have to, sometimes you have to do it anyway for the greater good or the greater buck, as the case may be. Eric, can I ask you a question? When you mentioned UFC, when they first got hot, did they take a lot of ad revenue from WCW? They didn't take ad revenue from us because they were very ad un they were more ad unfriendly than wrestling was. But what they did do was complicate the pay-per-view schedule, which was already kind of tough. Because you, you, you got to realize, you sit down, you look at the calendar, go, okay, we're going to do a pay-per-view in June. Well, we don't want to do it in the first of June because everybody's getting out of school. And, well, we can't do it towards the end of June because now we're getting close to the 4th of July. So you really got two weekends in June. And guess what? WWE wants one, we want one, and UFC wants one. So now you've got to negotiate with your pay-per-view provider to get that prime real estate. And that was just a, that, that's, that's where they complicated things. All right, we're going to take another question. All right, this question's for Eric and uh, Kevin. Did you ever imagine during that 83 weeks that you would have actually put uh, the McMahons out of business? And did you ever imagine a world going forward where WCW was still at the top? And what would that have been like in your eyes? Well, I, I absolutely did think that WCW was going to continue. I mean, we had, to me, the best talent. Eric had the wherewithal within the company. I mean, it's kind of hard when a wrestling company is doing five times or six times or seven times the average ratings for any other show. So he was on top of his game. We had just signed a million dollar deal with Japan to 
utilize their talent. We started becoming international. But I'll let Eric finish the question. I think they were damn close to going out of business. I think in my mind, um, 96, 97, I was pretty confident in where we were going and what we were doing. But by the middle of 98, I can remember it like it was yesterday, it was actually August of 98, was the first time for me, and we were still rocking and rolling. In August of 98, we were still making money, things were still going pretty good. Um, but I had my first meeting with a room full of people that I had never met before. One of the guys in that meeting was a guy by the name of Joe Yuva, who was actually in a real book, if you want to read it. And I was in this meeting, 12 or 15 people I'd never really seen before or heard of. And I, I came in, you know, I, I found out about the meeting late, so I came in, wasn't really prepared, didn't know even why I was there. Um, nobody prepped me at all. So I sat down and all these people introduced themselves, where they fit in the overall picture at Time Warner. And then they proceeded one by one to tell me how I was going to produce my wrestling show going forward. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. And I'm, I, I, I'm looking around, I'm going, this is fucking crazy. We're, actually, we're still outperforming. Our ratings are doing great. We're printing money. And I've got people, I've got 12 people I've never seen before telling me how I'm going to produce a wrestling show. And the, the, the one gentleman, and I've, I've always referred to him, but I've never used his name because he's still to this day a very powerful guy in the world of television, and I'm still in the television business. But Joe Yuva was sitting at the end of the table, and at the time he was the head of Turner Ad Sales in New York because Turner Ad Sales was a div another division in the company, just like WCW, but their job, they controlled all of the commercial inventory in all of the Turner programming. So they had a very loud voice over things. And Joe Yuva said, we need to quit doing what you've been doing, which is kind of an adult, reality-themed, edgy kind of content, and keep in mind, WWE now finally wised up, and they were basically doing what we were doing, only doing it a little better, quite frankly. And we, you guys need to stop doing that, and we want you to essentially, he didn't say the words, I'm paraphrasing, but we want you to go PG-14. We want you to appeal now towards kids. Now, for two years, two and a half years, I had built our company by targeting 18 to 54-year-old men. Now, all of a sudden, they want me to forego 18 to 54-year-old men, which is another way of saying, say goodbye to the audience you do have and go try to build an audience over here with safer, family-friendly shit. And I, I, for, I, I said, do you even know what night of the week Nitro was? It was called Monday Nitro, so it was kind of a trick question. I said, do you even know what night of the week Nitro was on? Do you even watch our show? And it was like... Well, yeah, of course I watch it. No, what night of the week is it on? And then somebody at the other end of the table jumped in and said, Monday. Great. My point was that people that didn't even watch the product, people that didn't understand how we went from a $24 million a year company that was losing $10 million a year when I, was, when I took it over, how we became a $300 million a year company that was probably spitting off closer to 60 or $70 million when you count all the money that we should have gotten credit for, they didn't understand that, but they were forcing us to change the way we were doing business. That's when I knew in August of 90, 1998 that we were in trouble. I didn't really understand why, but I saw it changing. And I, it's so much so that I, I went home and I told my wife that I was going to resign. And I was, you know, I was still that guy that everybody wanted to see in the atrium at CNN Center at the time. I was still kind of a, I had a golden touch, so to speak. Um, but I, w I went, no, this is bad. It's going to get worse. I didn't know how bad, but I knew it was going to get bad. And I wish I, w I wish people ask me all the time, do you have any regrets? I, I wished I would have gone with my gut and resigned right then because things would have been a lot different, I think, for the company and for me had that happened. Kevin, uh, question, I have a question off of, off of that. I don't think people understand uh, exactly how hard it is to do professional wrestling. Um, like Eric was saying, 
but not be able to use certain words, insults, stuff like that in promos. Could you give an example creatively of some of the stuff, the more ridiculous stuff that you were told you couldn't do? Well, I remember one time we had a meeting. I don't think you were there, Eric. And uh, uh, the AOL guy was there. The, you remember him? The he, Galen Chandler. Yeah, what? Galen Chandler. That's it. And he said... We were going over the show, and they, somebody said, well, he pulls a foreign object out, a gimmick, and hits the guy. He said, oh, you can't use foreign object. It has to be an international object. I looked at him, and I said, what? Yeah, you can't use the word foreign. And that, that's what Eric's talking about. I mean, there are things that people don't understand, and the re reason why, going back to the question about did we, I think we could have put WWE out of business. Vince owned the whole company. He didn't have to report to anybody. He didn't have go, Eric going into a room blind and them saying, the best show on their network, oh, you got to change it. And lose the people that spend money. The, you know, the male's 18 to 55 at the time. I mean, it was just so absurd, and there was, I, I, and I, I've been meaning to ask you this, Eric. Wasn't there something about Nitro that we were shot with TBS trucks so they could write it off uh, onto somebody else and build their budget? Yeah, well, unfortunately, RD's head would explode because it would involve <laughs> more math, but... <laughs> There, Turner, Turner was a complicated company because there was a lot, they called them intercompany allocations, okay? There's an also, also a thing called a gap or generally accepted accounting principle. So there was a lot of shit you could do on the books that was perfectly legal but kind of sketchy, all right? So we were forced to use Turner Broadcasting Trucks. Now, I could have found cheaper production trucks because they're available. I mean, if I needed to hire one today, I could... I could find one probably within an hour and a half, a perfectly fine production truck for probably half of what it cost me to get from TBS, but because we were a TBS company, we had to use TBS production trucks. And guess what? They raked us over the coals for them because it looked better on their books. But that was something that was out of our control. Now, there were some advantages, don't get me wrong, but there were a lot of disadvantages when it came to the books. But I'm going to tell you one quick story. And I, RD, I know you want to jump in here. Either that or you've got a microphone fixation that I don't want to hear about. <laughs> kind of sketchy. Um, going, going to the creative thing. In that meeting that I talked about right. with the 12 people I didn't even meet, one of them was this chick named Terry Tingle. So everybody went around the table, and he introduced themselves. We got to Terry Tingle. She said, well, I'm Terry Tingle. And I went, are you a stripper from the Cheetah? Because <laughs> that's the best stripper name I ever heard, Terry Tingle. Wait till you meet this chick I know by the name of Holly Sunshine. She's going to love you. <laughs> but Terry Tingle was from the standards and practices, right? And then when it was her turn to talk, she says, well, you know, we've got to change, you know, in, along with, you know, what Joe says about, you know, being more family friendly, we've got to be careful about the dialogue. And I'd like to see your scripts at least a month or two in advance. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, we don't make movies here. We don't, we don't make like eight weeks of TV and then go on a, you know, sabbatical and then write another eight weeks for a year. This is like every week. I mean, you're lucky if you get a script by 4.30 in the afternoon while we're shooting this show. All right? We'll do our best, but that's it. But she said, she goes, I'm going to go back to like last week. You know, you had this wrestler con. You used the word stupid. I said, yeah. She goes, you can't do that anymore. I said, what? She goes, because there are learning disabled people out there, and there are people that are challenged intellectually out there, and we can't, we can't disenfranchise them or hurt their feelings. And I'm thinking, okay, how the hell are we going to get heat? you got to take out an international object and you're intellectually <laughs> challenged. You can't call someone stupid. I mean, you can't say anything. I mean, that's, and that was really because they didn't understand the product itself. And they were trying to apply standards to scripted programming and drama and other types of content to a product that was designed to appeal. Let's face it, what is wrestling? It's dramatized scripted violence, right? It's guys beating and girls beating the hell out of each other in flashy clothes. That's what it is. 
but they were trying to apply a psychology to it and a control to it that just didn't fit. If, if I could ask you both a question, and I know we've been volleying back and forth, but I really do want to know the answer to this question. You talk about standards and practices, you guys having to be PG. Can you tell me how you view a PG company, a, a company that is PG now, that has just signed a multi-billion dollar TV deal. Can you tell me the differences that you guys were under versus what WWE is under today? Because they're a PG company too. Yeah, but here's the difference, and it's a good question, and I, I appreciate it. The difference is, again, I, and I say this all the time, context is king. So you can make a statement like, well, WWE's PG, and they're a billion dollar company. Why could they do it, not you? got to go back and look at the context. In the context of the time, WWE had women given birth to hands in the ring. WWE they had Vince McMahon walking Trish Stratus around on a fucking leash and making her bark like a dog. All right? That you had Sable flashing her breasts on television. You had Steve Austin standing up on the corners of the ring, flipping people off while he was guzzling beer. So that was the competition that we had at the time. WWE has a luxury now of going PG because they don't have any competition. It's easy to go back and go backwards and say, okay, we're going to reset and we're going to soften up the edges a little bit and become a little more family friendly. And by the way, they've been doing that over a period of time. It's been going on now for about six or seven years. And they finally got to the point now where they've been able to hold on to a good part of their audience. But I guarantee you, if they would have tried to go PG back when we were doing NWO, they would have gone out of business because the audience that was sustaining the product wouldn't have paid attention to it. Now there's no competition. People don't have any choice. I appreciate the answer. Thank you. All right. We have another question from the audience. All right, Eric. Uh, you had mentioned uh, one of the main factors for WCW not being on uh, Turner Networks well, in 2001 when WCW went out of business was because TNT wanted to become a drama network and TBS wanted to be a comedy network. Uh, how do you explain TBS still devoting three hours of time multiple times during the week for Atlanta Braves baseball until the year 2007? Uh, any comment about that? And two, what is your favorite sitcom of all time? The Cosby Show, Roseanne, or the Atlanta, Atlanta Braves baseball? <laughs> Good question on sports. Sports is an anomaly. There is a tremendous amount of money in sports rights. TBS, TNT both had a long history of sports, and that was the type of franchise that not only drew amazing amounts of money because they had tons of sponsors that came with them. Keep in mind, wrestling didn't. Wrestling was a very, it still is to this day, by the way, despite the fact WWE is, is family-friendly or PG, they've done a much better job in the last couple of years but for the longest time, the only people that would uh, advertise on wrestling were opportunistic buyers that would buy what you would call low CPMs or cost per thousand, candy companies. They didn't care who watched the show as long as they had two eyeballs they were in. Actually, as long as you could have one eyeball you were in. Um, they were buying it as cheap as they could. That's beginning to change because the WWE has worked very hard to change it. But sports is different. You can get Atlanta Braves baseball, for example, that doesn't really get a high rating, but drives a tremendous audience and revenue. Wrestling never draw, drew a ton of revenue, even at its peak, from an ad sales perspective. Does that answer the question? And me being a baseball fan, I have the definitive answer for that. Ted owned the team. The boss yeah, owned the team. That had something to do with yeah, it, too. Yeah. But they own WCW. Arguably, yeah. they own that franchise, too. Yeah. But you can't compare the revenue and the sponsorship and the value of sports rights to the value of programming. And that's the difference. I have been uh, watching all the uh, Nitros and Thunders on uh, the WWE Network. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I've uh, think I kind of, in my opinion, and now this is not the death or what killed it, but what kind of was the downfall for me uh, was the finger poke of doom. Was that an idea that was with your consent, or because was that you? Your idea, or was that Nash's idea, or 
Would you consider that a mistake that you made? I'll take it. I, I'm going to tell you what I believe, okay? At the time when Hulk turned heel, it turned him into a, gave him life again. And I mean, nobody, when he turned heel that night, nobody saw it coming. The garbage came in the ring. And the thing with the finger poker doom, I think that even though Eric was the boss, Hulk still had creative control of what he wanted. And you got to remember, Hulk Hogan at one time was the biggest body in wrestling. And this is just me trying to surmise what happened. Hulk wasn't the biggest body in wrestling anymore, and Kevin dwarfed him. I could see how Hulk could have came, got with Kevin, got with Eric, got with myself, and said, I think this is the best thing to do. And even though it wasn't, I don't think that Hogan thought he could have a match with Kevin that he could carry Kevin, or Kevin could carry him, because Hulk's matches at the, during that time were mostly vicious, violent matches, and how could he have vicious, violent matches against his partner? And I don't believe it was done intentionally to hurt the company. I think they thought it was, they were so cool, they could do anything and get over. And then the people would say, wow, that was cool. Well, even Einstein made mistakes. So there, I think that's what it is. Yeah, and I think to, to add to that or to support it, Here's what I find, you know, when I do this podcast, and doing it with Conrad's interesting because he, you know, as he reminds me all the time, he's been reading the dirt sheets for 20 years. Well, that doesn't necessarily make you smart. You're just reading the same stupid shit over and over and over again for 20 years. But one of the things that I've learned in doing this podcast, and even doing things like this, and we'll get to you, brother. I don't want your arm to get tired. <laughs> and you too, young man. Well, we'll get to you too. Um, people think, Oh, whose idea was that? Was that Kevin Sullivan's idea? Was that Eric Bischoff's idea? Was that Hulk Hogan's idea? Whose idea was that? Whether it's good or bad, right? Because people in the audience, people who have never been in the business, assume they can lay that decision-making process on one person. And it never happened that way. You know, for the most part, with, with a couple exceptions in my life, and in my case, um, I throw out an idea, and Kevin would go, well, that's a pretty good idea, but what if we do this? And then somebody else would go, yeah, Kevin, that's a great idea, but if we do this instead of that, it might even be better. And by the time you get done going around the room, what started out as let's grow an apple tree turns into let's buy a pineapple plantation. You know what I mean? So ideas and decisions and choices are, are very rarely one person's, um, the product of one person's mind. Now, I signed off on it. So if it's got to end somewhere, it ends with me, all right? There's no, there's no getting around that. But that being said, I know the figure poker doom is something that people like to look at and go, that's the beginning of the end, because it was pretty bad. But that wasn't the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end took place in early 1998. The beginning of the end was when a bunch of executives were taking over a company and decided we really don't want this thing around anymore, and they choked it out. The beginning of the end was a decision to go in the middle of the most heated competition that any of you will ever see again. We were, we were told to fight a different fight than the one we had been fighting and winning. That was the beginning of the end. The figure of Polka Doom came along about the time that the end was really kind of accelerating, so it's an easy thing to look at and say, oh, if you wouldn't have done that, the company would still be around. That's a very juvenile no, way of looking no, at it. No, I, I agree with you. It's not one thing. It's not one thing. You can't say it was the finger punk of doom or it was Goldberg streak ending. Those things may have accelerated fans tuning out, but it's not one thing. No way. We made that point as well. I agree with you. Oh, man, this is weird. We're agreeing on things. All right, we He's trying to make himself look good. <laughs> Unfortunately, we only have time for one more question, but I wanted to get to this young man and his father. He wants me to ask it for him. So, Eric, I've heard you comment on interviews in the past where you spoke about potentially purchasing WCW rights afterwards, and uh, you had some investors lined up and so forth, and that deal fell through. 
I was just wondering if you could expand on that and maybe give us some color on what you were thinking, what your plan was, perhaps what financials you had developed, and what wrestling talent you were going to use with that. I personally would have loved to see that. I think everyone would have. But uh, anyway, just my thoughts. There. Yeah, I'll make this really quick because I know we're running low on time. Um, we raised through a company called Fusion Media. Fusion Media was owned by two guys, uh, Brian Badal, Steve Greenberg, uh, who is Hank Greenberg's son, by the way, a baseball player. Um, they owned a company called Fusion Media. They had made a fortune by aggregating or curating uh, college sports rights because back in the early 90s, nobody cared about old college sports, right? So the NCAA had a bunch of footage that was old and they didn't know what to do with it. it just sat in a vault. So these guys were smart enough to go around and buy up all of the, the libraries from all this old college sports material that they could get their hands on. And then they created the Classic Sports Network, which then became ESPN Sports Classic. So they made a fortune in media, right? And they were really smart, sophisticated Wall Street guys. They were investment bankers that loved television and loved sports. I got introduced to them. And we did our deal together. And then with them, we went out and raised $67 million. They invested $5 million of their own. That was the seed money. And then with them, I went out to Wall Street to some of the big brokerage houses like Warburg Pincus and others, Barclays. We put on our presentation, our business plan, the whole nine yards, and we raised an additional $62 million. We went through the due diligence process, which took about six or eight months and cost them about a million dollars in legal fees, by the way. And then the bottom fell out. Jamie Kellner came in, decided he didn't want to use the te he didn't want to include the television uh, element of the deal in the deal itself, which meant that it we had no value any longer. Now, fast forward in terms of what we were going to do. The original idea was to shut WCW down for a period of about. We talked about 60 or 90 days. Uh, the, the brand had been damaged so horribly that it was my opinion that if we just took it away, the absence makes the heart grow fonder factor would have kicked in. And it would have given us time to build anticipation and convince the audience through marketing and promotion that there was going to be a whole new WCW coming. And we were working on it. Kind of like a movie premiere. You know, you see little teasers and trailers and you build anticipation and that was our plan the only thing that we really focused on was the tactical plant side of the plan where we were going to produce our shows how we were going to produce them we were going to be uh, permanently located in las vegas um, planet hollywood or it was either planet hollywood or house of blues i can't remember was going to build us an arena on top of one of the parking decks and that was going to be our permanent home so we wouldn't have had to travel the show that was really a cost-saving decision not so much that we wanted to do it but we had to do it in terms of creative we didn't really get to that before the deal was actually pulled out from underneath us because we were really focused on like i said tactical issues not creative issues and i hope that answered the question in a hurry I'm, I'm about to blow up. <laughs> All right, as we wrap things up, I want to give everybody, each person on the panel a chance to say some closing words. I want to start with R.D. R.D., uh, you finally had this discussion. It's been uh, much anticipated, so I'm wondering if, uh, if any of your mind was changed and uh, your closing words. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what's in our book, I mean, it, uh, what Eric has said actually confirms a lot of it. I don't know if Eric's ever read the book or not. I can understand if he, does, if he hasn't. Uh, but I think it's really important. You know, the thing at the end of the day, when I look out at everybody, I mean, WCW died, it was, uh, you know, 17 years ago, right? WCW meant a lot to all of us. And yeah, hold up the beer. WCW meant a lot to all of us. And I'm very sad that it's gone. And I want to state, for the record, I appreciate what Kevin Sullivan did for us with WCW. And people will hate this. But I am going to say it for the record. I appreciate what Eric Bischoff did for WCW as well. I cannot, I cannot understate. Eric talks way better than I do. And he is just, I ask you, you can read the book. You can make your decisions on which side of the story is right. But I appreciate what Eric Bischoff did, how he reinvented the business. I really hope someone comes along and does what Eric Bischoff did Back then, I really hope someone comes along and does that again. Give a hug. Give a hug. There will be no hugs. Just ask Bill Lapter. I don't hug anybody. I'll hug SoCal Val, but that's it. That's all the hugging going on here today. 
By the way, um, it's been a pleasure being up here. RD, thanks for being a good sport. Um, this has all been in fun, guys. I harbor no ill will to anybody uh, except for Vince Rousseau. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been fun being up here. Most of all, it, here's the deal, guys. It's, I still get a kick. I mean, Kevin and I are still relevant. I mean, maybe a little bit relevant, but... We're still up here and get a chance to hang out with you guys and have some fun and be here all weekend and meet people and feel your energy. And I'm really, really grateful for that. You know, for, for me at this stage of my life and this stage of my career, to, for anybody to give a damn is still kind of a cool thing. So thank you all very much. Real quickly, before we end this panel, Kevin, it seems like you had some questions that you had answered, so yeah. I want to hear your final take well, on Well, I would first like to personally thank Eric Bischoff, because Eric was very good to me and very good to a lot of people. Uh, he's taken a lot of knocking that he shouldn't have had, but nobody would be here, not you guys, not me, not David, not R.D., not Eric, if he didn't do a bang-up job, and they wouldn't be selling that arena out if there was no WCW, because that's the closest thing to WCW that's come along. And I'm a man of faith. Let's hope that somebody comes along and gives Eric another chance. I want to thank R.D. Reynolds. I want to thank Kevin Sullivan and Eric Bischoff. And thank you guys. Sorry we couldn't get to all your questions, but I hope you enjoyed it. For the Death to WCW panel, I'm David Penzer. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.